The Good Reading Podcast is brought to you by Read, the monthly book subscription that pairs a new release book with a pampering gift delivered to your door. There are new books every month and nine genres to choose from. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Read subscription today? Visit luxury.com.au to find out how. I stood for a moment in the schoolyard, in the silky warmth of the day. In the playground, Poppy raced past unaware, her face radiant with purpose. I turned away. Although both Alex and Poppy's teacher had been calm and reassuring in their different ways, I felt that I'd set something in motion. But what had I learned? Nothing except there was probably nothing to worry about. Poppy was fine, and I was a fretful single mother, the kind Jason complained about. What had they said I should do? Nothing, except wait and watch and see and try not to worry too much. I had three hours before I collected Poppy and Jake, and I didn't know how to fill the time. Normally, I would have gone home, done some yoga or had a run, and then continued with Poppy's witch outfit. But I didn't want to do any of these things because I was filled with a churning disquiet that made my limbs twitchy. If I'd still been a smoker, I would have smoked a cigarette and then another cigarette, lighting one from the tip of the previous one, killing time. I walked slowly down the street towards my flat, past the magnolia tree in sumptuous bloom, past the junkyard and boarded up shops. Then I stopped. I thought of the drawing. What had she seen and what had she heard? What was she trying to tell me? I turned round and made my way onto the high street. I went up to the door of the police station and without giving myself time to think, I opened the door and stepped inside. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Nikki French is the pen name for the husband and wife writing duo of Nikki Gerard and Sean French. They've written 23 books together, including 10 in the Frida Klein series and 15 standalone crime fiction titles. Today, I'm talking to Nikki Gerard and Sean French about their latest book, The Unheard. Nikki and Sean, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you very much for having us. From your very first collaborative novel, The Memory Game in 1997, through the Frida Klein series and now to The Unheard, you've written consistently great psychological thrillers. In your minds, what are the fundamentals of a great psychological thriller? Oh, right. Well, there's a question to start off with. Right. Well, I, if in a way, I can say the way that we, the way we come at it, and I think it's right from the beginning. We've always written stories about certain kinds of anxiety and fear, and what we've always written is the kinds of things that really scare us, the things that get under our skin. We've never been drawn to the terrorists on the loose and there's three days to defuse a bomb or something like that. It's, a, it's more like the kind of things that happen in your everyday life about just something going wrong between partners or in this case with a child, a kind of everyday fear and just turn the dial a few notches, take everyday anxiety, push them. And that's, that's the way you can find a, a psychological thriller because in a way in everyday life, we're always on, on thin ice. We're, we're, we're one or two decisions away from things going horribly wrong. And I think that thin ice is what a psychological thriller treads so very well. And I mean, what it's like domestic noir or intimate dread. What is it to feel very lonely, to feel jealous, to feel fearful, to feel grief, to be abandoned? The things that go on 
in our world around the breakfast table kind of in a family that's what we work with and this the story is of course crucial but the characters are also crucial the journey that the characters go on through the story and what and how they kind of unravel and put themselves back together again I want to pick up on that word that Sean used anxiety and you you're quite masterful in the way you cultivate that sense of anxiety through this book in particular but that anxiety is ever present in your protagonist your main character Tess how do you go about building that sense through the story and through the character Tess is a single mother and she's a very anxious and maybe overprotective single mother and so we start with a situation which seems maybe quite small and it's how she reacts to it that then escalates the book is kind of set in motion by her sense of kind of fear and overprotection for her child and then as she starts to investigate the child's life and therefore her own life she's finding that everything she thought she knew she didn't quite know that everyone she thought she she could trust, she can't quite trust. And we use the word thin ice before. I mean, I think we don't know anybody fully. Everybody has their secrets. So what she's doing is she's entering into a world of secrets and trying to find out what the truth is. And the world becomes like a quicksand that she's standing on. And she suddenly realized she's always been standing on that quicksand. And in a way, all of Nikki French's novels are built on that premise that we don't really understand the work that the ground that we're standing on, nobody understands it. And actually it could give way at any time. All our relationships depend, you know, as Nikki was saying, on trust that people are telling us the truth. And you suddenly realise one of the people was lying to the other and life wasn't as comfortable as it seemed. And I think that's often what we feed on, which makes us feel like sort of vampires or some kind of uh, strange creature. But what if my partner's not what, what he seems or what she seems? Is this something that materialises as you write or have you planned this all out? Both are true. So we spend a long time thinking about what book it is that we're going to be spending eight or nine months writing and we have to be equally grabbed by an idea and then we do plan we have to have the kind of beating heart of the novel why it needs to be written and often it's not the plot it's a kind of a situation or an emotion that gets us going and then we do plan out the whole journey of the novel and in some detail usually so we know where it's going but actually then in the writing you realise that the novel has a life of its own and you sometimes find yourself, sometimes it's like halfway through the novel or even towards the end, you suddenly think, ah, oh, that's what it's about. That's what the real underbelly of this novel is. You know, that's what got us going in the first place. So both are true. And you, we really have learned that we have to allow the novel to dictate to us sometimes and to kind of follow where it's leading us. If we can talk for a moment about the premise of the book and a rather disturbing children's drawing. Poppy is the, the young girl's name. I think she's three years old. And the unheard really explores this, I guess, child trauma and, and the trauma of parenting as well. How do you go about researching a subject like that? 
The one way we went about researching it was by having four children. People say, where do ideas come from? And they often come from very mundane, ordinary things in life that you wouldn't think would be a thriller. Anyone who's a parent knows this feeling of a three-year-old coming back from nursery and, and producing some bit of scrawl. And, and you say, well, what's that of? And they give some strange explanation. And you, because three-year-olds, they can talk, but they can't, they don't quite know what they're saying. And they can't tell the difference between what's in their head and, and, and what's actually happen so they'll give you an explanation for some drawing and you think that, that, that doesn't bear any relation to this strange thing that you've drawn very often Nikki and I will have a conversation about something like that which we both something we both went through and think do you know that would make that could make a thriller what if the three-year-old comes back and they, they do a drawing that seems to show that they've seen a murder can't then ask them the questions the way a normal eyewitness would so we, so that was a starting point and involved you know some actual research Poppy is the ultimate unreliable witness um, because she lives in her imagination as much as she lives in the world, which all children do. I mean, the imaginations of children are so rich and strange, and that's what we wanted to kind of plug into and then use that to kind of manoeuvre ourselves into a, into a thriller. And it's interesting about research because some novels require a lot of kind of technical research, really. But this was more trying to kind of plug into our own memories. We have two children as well who are primary school teachers now. And so they were part of our research, talking about kind of talking about what, you know, because it's quite easy to forget when our children were grown up what they were like at three, but. They helped us remember. You seem to be constantly exploring these grey areas between truth and lies, between trust and mistrust. And that was constantly raising in my mind this, this sense of uncertainty. Is Tess okay? Is her mental health trustworthy? Who do I trust here? Is that something you are consciously cultivating or is it just a rise out of the, the process of writing? That's quite a good description of the way we, <laughs> we see life all the time. I mean, I think there is always that. We don't need to worry about our enemies. Most of us need to worry about our friends. You know, I mean, what do our friends really think about us? Especially, I mean, with our partners, we spend all our lives with them, but do we? how much do we really know about them? That radical uncertainty, that grey area. I mean, I think that that's where we live and we consciously live there and learn Learning to live with there not being a wrong and a right, a good and a bad, an evil and an innocent kind of murk of everyday life where, you know, none, none of our so-called villains are really, I mean, some of them are pretty unpleasant, but none of them are villainous. They're ordinary people and they're kind of scared of life and they make terrible mistakes. And we're quite interested, not just in the kind of bad things that happen to them, but also the bad things that they do, that we all do. That sense of doubt runs right through the book, but there always seems to be time for a gin and tonic or a gin-based <laughs> cocktail. Yeah, well, that's very important. We do this in autobiographical <laughs> self-meditation. I noticed the Negroni gets a mention every now and then. <laughs> we make a very, I, mean, I, say, I make a very good Negroni. Sean does make a good Negroni. One of the things that we talk about a lot when we're planning a book and then when we're writing it is is pace and altering pace. Now, kind of sitting in a garden with a very good Negroni is a very good way of just, okay, stopping for a while. And books can't go at the same speed all the time. You have to kind of hurtle and then slow down. Also, it's really important, well, you know, for us, I think the settings are so important and we always talk about, you know, 
how interested in food is this character? You know, different, some characters, you know, what kind of, what do they drink? What do they eat? You know, do they smoke? What's in their fridge? What's, What's it, yeah. under their bed? Yeah, and so things like that. We really want people to feel that you're almost eavesdropping on a real, in this, you know, this case, a real London life. When one thinks of one's favourite thrillers, it's so often not just the cleverness of the story, it's just the atmosphere, you know, like, you know, Chandler's Los Angeles or Sherlock Holmes's foggy London. And I think that's just as important as the actual story or the tension. You have a, an unusual way of writing, and I guess that comes with writing as a team. It's a kind of upstairs, downstairs situation and passing a, a baton back and forth. After nearly 30 years and, and 23 books or more, there must be an, an inordinate amount of trust between you. But are there any rules? Trust is absolutely the key word because, I mean, that 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 act of writing and then passing it across and having it changed and mutilated and erased, you have to do it without ego and you have to know that it's not a power struggle and you have to kind of be kind of undignified and a failure in front of the other. Kind of every every day of our writing life, that's what we're doing. There are rules. There weren't, they're not rules that we drew up when we started. They're rules we've gradually discovered that we have. And those three rules are about trust. The first one is that if I write a piece of prose that I think is, that I love a lot, and I hand it to Sean, um, and he changes it all, and and, and puts his own words there instead. When I see what he's done, I'm not allowed to return it to its previous state because I have to, I have to assume that he's done it for the right motives and the right reasons and he's right. We have to know that we're each other's best editors. That's the first rule. The second rule is we never tell anybody who wrote which bits. I mean, sometimes it's hard for us even to remember because we've edited it and re-edited it. So it belongs to both of us. Um, and the third rule. The third rule is if 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 so if I give something to Nikki and she thinks oh this isn't quite good enough this really needs changing she just changes it that's why if I think there's something wrong with what Nikki's written I don't need to say it just make it better and what I know is you know if I write this beautiful sentence and the next time I see it it's gone away it's not because Nikki's doing a concerted effort to write the book that she had in mind all along it's what does the book need if we really felt that it was a kind of power struggle then we'd have not we'd have written two chapters of our first book and had a huge row and never done it again is there ever a moment when you one of you says oh Sean or hey Nikki I, I just can't be bothered today <laughs> <laughs> But do you know, that's a, in, a, in a way, yes, I think, because I think one of the really good things, I think writing is hard, so hard anyway. I think there have been times where one of us, you know, you get in, a, you just, you know, you're not in the right mood or you're not, there is something good about the other person can, in that case, pick up the baton. And there is a feeling of, of just support. Even when like I'm doing an interview, the great thing about doing an interview like this is if, if I grind to a halt, then Nikki can take over and it'll look like I've paused in order to let her speak rather than just running out <laughs> of anything to say. I was wondering if those moments where you can't be bothered where that's where you turn to the Negroni. <laughs> <laughs> the Negronis are in the evening. Yes, I know. It's very dangerous to, to use it as inspiration. <laughs> Congratulations on another great book. Nikki Gerard and Sean French, thank you very much for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. We very much enjoyed it. Thank we, you. We loved it. Thank you. I've been talking to Nikki Gerard and Sean French about their latest book, The Unheard. It's published by Simon & Schuster and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name is Gregory Dobbs and thanks for listening. 
This good reading podcast was brought to you by Luxury Read. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Luxury Read subscription today? Visit luxuryread.com.au to find out how.